0: Already, all I need. Is that true for you? You don't need to raise your hand or not. But is he really all you need? You know, that goes back to the 23rd Psalm when David said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He says, Basically, he's all I need. I don't need anything more. And he provides for me and he meets my needs and he's the one who loves me and he's the one who cares for me and watches over me. He's my shepherd. It's all I need. And uh, I think we get caught up a lot of times with a lot of other things we think we need that we probably don't. And we have a Lord who says, I'll meet your needs. I'll care for you. I love you. Uh, If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1. If you do not have a Bible, David would be glad to get one for you. Just raise your hand and he'll make sure that You have one, so it's Genesis chapter 1. You know, I I don't know, how many of you know who Calvin Coolidge was? A few of you, you know, he was one of our presidents, folks, we ought to to know that one. Uh, Calvin Coolidge, uh, one of our presidents, and uh, on Sunday he'd gone to church, he was coming home, his wife couldn't go with him, and. When he got home, she was anxious to know what the sermon was about and what went on in church and what took place. And Cal, I guess, was kind of a man of few words. He he didn't uh, say a lot extra. And she said, "Well, well, what was the sermon about? What did the pastor preach on? And he thought for a minute and he said, well, sin. That's pretty short and sweet, isn't it? Sin. And she said, well, what did he say about sin? What was important that he said? What what do you think it was? And he thought for a few moments. And he said, well, I I think he was against it. (laughs) Sin, I hope we're against it. (laughs) I hope we're not for it. We live in a world of problems. We live in a world that is concerned about the coronavirus. We're in a world today where there seems to be a war of words going on in Washington, D.C., between uh, Republicans and, gener- and, and uh, Democrats between the House of Representatives and the Senate, between the president, president and everybody. Um, boy, it's just a, a struggle. We live in a world where kids are getting killed, they're getting knifed and shot. About a week ago, there was a young man at a basketball game between Antioch and Deer Valley. After the game, he was shot and killed. Uh, those things shouldn't be happening in our society, in our culture. So what's the problem? I think a lot of people are asking that question. They're they're asking the question, but they're not getting the right answer. You know, until we get the right answer, we're not going to solve a lot of those problems. And if you go back and you look at the Bible, the basic answer to that is sin. Sin means to miss the mark. Uh, I I've read an article where it said that in the Middle Ages, if someone was target practicing and he was shooting at a, a target and his arrow missed the bullseye, he would go, sin, because it missed the mark. And when our lives miss the mark, we miss what God has for us, then, then we see that we struggle because of that. And so I might ask you today, and uh, I'm not asking you to tell me, but to think about it, and I had to think about it for myself because I think we're all here in one way or another. What's your problem? What's your problem? What's the issue you might be struggling with? It may be in a relationship. It may be financially. It may be with physical illness. It may be that you got too many weeds in your garden. I don't know what it is. you want to know something? We didn't have weeds until the fall of man. Then it said that, that Adam would have weeds that he'd have to work hard at, and by the sweat of his brow, he would make a living, Man, that all comes from that fall that we're going to be talking about next week, and um, it's, it's good to go back and see what it's, it's about, we've been talking about Bible basics, and we talked to him the first, first Sunday of this, the first book, we talked about the fact that there needs to be a grand designer, someone who puts it all together. Uh, the world doesn't work the way it does without somebody having planned it and put it in place. And, and when we begin to think that we can see the world come into existence without God of some kind, well, it just doesn't work. You, the issue of first cause. There, there's got to be something that started it all that was preceding anything else. Uh, the issue of the complexity Of the creation just the complexity of the human body wow it's amazing how complex we are when you think of DNA and you look think of the uh, human eye and all these different things and and there's no way they could have come into existence by themselves just in time then we talked about the idea of the Bible is it reliable because a lot of people stop right there in terms of their search for God they just say well (laughs) I can't know God because the Bible's not that reliable And we talked about its creation, how it came into existence, all scriptures inspired by God. I just read a Facebook page from a man that I know, and he said that the Bible we have isn't all of the Bible, and it isn't the true Bible. He said, Scripture doesn't talk about the Bible. It's something else that was written. And I read it, and I thought, man, how sad. He's missed the point. He's missed what the Bible is, and he went back and he talked about the book of Enoch of how it should be included in the Bible and a couple others taken out. And uh, I, I was just stunned as I read it. He's a, a man that I know, and uh, yet he has come to the point of not believing some of the things that are true from the Scripture. Then we came back last week and we just, or two weeks ago, and we talked about the God of the Bible. Now that we know that the Bible can be verified and we know that there is a God, we've looked at both of those, now we look at it and realize that if the Bible teaches us about God, we can know who God is. The Bible teaches us how to live. We can know how to live. You know, the Bible, in every aspect, every topic that it touches has been proven to be 100% correct. It's never been proven to be uncorrect, to be a mistake. Some people think it may be, but it isn't. That's, a, that's just kind of taking a theoretical view and saying, well, I think the Bible's got problems, and it doesn't. So now that we have the Bible, and we know that there's a God, and we know about God from looking into the Word of God, I want to talk about the creation of man, how God brought man into existence today. And then next week, we're going to talk about his fall, how he messed up. And when we talk about man, we're talking about using that general term. We're talking about me and we're talking about you. We're talking about the human race and who we are and where we are and what's gone on. So I want to start with Genesis chapter one. And let me just say, as you read down through this, we're not going to read it all. But every time God would come to the end of a day, he'd look at it and say, it is good. Verse 4, God saw that the light was good. We go down a little further, and you find that in each one of these, God says it's good. And it's uh, verse 10, talked about the sea. It was good. And you know, if God says it good, was good, then it was perfect. It was right. It was what needed to be there. You go down to the last verse, and I like that. It's after the creation of man. And in verse 31, it says, God saw that all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Wasn't just good, it was very good. And so when he created us, it says we were very good. Let's go back up to verse 26 and 27 talks about man coming into existence, and it says, God said, let us make man in our image. Uh, there's a plural of majesty, which was a plural that they would use for the king to show how amazing he was. But I don't believe that that's necessarily what's being said here when he talks about let us make man in our image. Uh, he's not talking about him and the angels or any other being that may have been there at that time. He's simply talking about the relationship in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You look back through the scriptures, you find that all three were involved in the creation. All three were part of it. Uh, John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things came into being by the Word. And so we begin to see the reality of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all involved in the creation. And here it says that God's speaking in this plural. And he said, uh, let us make man in our image. According to our likeness. Those terms, image and likeness, can be used interchangeably. Let them have this responsibility that they rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth... And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. The issue isn't gender here. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and he said to them, I have a job for you. Number one, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. You need to procreate. You need to have children and fill the earth. You need to subdue the earth. You need to be Responsible to rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living creature or every living thing that moves on the earth. So we're made in the image of God. What does that mean to you? We say it a lot. Imago Day. Made in the image of God. What do you what do you think when you think of being made in the image of God? We know it's not physical because God's spirit says he is a spirit. He isn't uh, a physical being. I believe he can take on physical properties. certainly in the the second person of the deity he did. Jesus became man. He dwelt among us. We know that when God came to Abraham, and it may have been the second person, but he was in human form when he made with him. So we know that he can take that on, but that's not typical of God. He's made in the image of God. One thing I know about God is that God's holy. God's pure. Do you want to know something? When we were created, we were created, or when Adam was created, not us, but when Adam was created, Eve was created, they were created without sin. They were separate from sin. They were holy in terms of not being sinners, not having a sin nature. That didn't come till later. After the creation. So, when we look at it, there's a certain aspect of holiness that may be given to us. In fact, in Peter, it says that you are to be holy as God is holy. That's what he desires from you. He he desires that you be separated from the world. That you be separate from sin. You live within it, but you don't have to be of it. Some of the uh, attributes of God, I thought about those and how they are translated and transferred to man. Uh incommunicable attributes those are the attributes that we aren't like we can't be like there are things about God that aren't true of us number one would be his eternality uh just the idea that you know we're going to be eternal into the future but we all had a start God didn't have a start he is eternal past present and into the future um is immutability, we use that term, another big term. It just means he never changes. God's always the same. Isn't that great? Man, I like to know that I have a God that I I can know. He's not going to be fickle. And every time he turns around, he's changing his mind about something or dealing with me in a different way. Oh, man, I want a God I can trust. I want a God that's that's there for me. And so there are these attributes that are non-communicable. He doesn't pass them on to us. His omnipresence uh, will never be everywhere at once. Not going to happen. I don't know how we're going to travel once we have our spirits go to heaven, but I believe we'll be limited in space. We're not going to be able to just be everywhere like God. The Bible says in, in Psalms 139, it says that... Uh, doesn't matter whether you go to the deepest sea or the highest mountain. It wouldn't matter if you went into the furthest areas of space that we can possibly go. It doesn't matter whether you go to heaven or whether you go to hell. God's going to be there. And he's there for you. It's important that we understand that. That, that there are some things that won't be true of us. But what about these communicable attributes? Some of those that we pass on. There's spirituality, there's, there's life and personality, and we're going to come back to that in a minute. Uh, intellectual attributes, you know, in, in Colossians. Paul was praying for the Colossian believers, and he says, I pray that you may grow in spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we have that wisdom, we have understanding. God gave it to us. And in, in, in the way these things are worked out in our lives, it's different than the rest of creation. There's love. God's mercy. We can demonstrate mercy. We we are to show love, and we're to be holy. Just like Adam and Eve, they were holy. Now, when we, we're going to get into it next week, but we talk about the first Adam and the second Adam. First Adam was the one who sinned, and he took us all into sin. The second Adam is the one who went to the cross for us and made it so we could be forgiven. And I think it's important that we understand Uh, this second Adam, that Jesus Christ uh, takes that figure in Scripture. But when we look at the image of God, most theologians that I know will probably give you three things that typify the image of God in our lives. There would be those attributes, but they would most likely deal with, well, like the intellectual attributes, knowledge and wisdom. It has to do with our intellect. We can think. We can process things. We have an intellectual ability. Uh, I I think the Bible talks about that as our mind. Maybe the heart, if you look back at the Greek words, but, but, but the mind. There's the intellect. There's our heart, our emotions. Are you an emotional being? Some of you more than others, right? But we still all have it. Was God an emotional being? There were times that he was angry. Uh, there were times when the Holy Spirit was, was put down. He was held down. He was grieved. So there's, there's intellect and there's emotion, and the third one would have to do with our will. We have a will. We make decisions. We determine what we're going to do, where we're going to go, what's going to happen. Uh, We determine whether we're going to follow God or we aren't going to follow God. We determine whether we want to do what God wants us to. I, I was thinking about this whole idea of of being in the image of God and how those three relate to God and how they relate to us. And I went back to Matthew 22. It's what we know as of the great commandment. And in the great commandment, it says verse 37 of Matthew 22, it says you shall love the Lord, your God. This is a, this is a proactive thing. This is something you're going to do. You shall love the Lord, your God with all of your heart, your emotion, With all of your soul, I I really believe that has to do with will. And with all of your mind, that's your intellect. And you love God with all of your heart, your mind, and your soul. How are we created in the image of God? So often, when we look at it, the way they look at it is by intellect. By emotion. And by our will. And so we are to love him with with the way we're created, the way God made us. Deuteronomy 6.5 says that might is added on there. Mark 12 talks about the idea of strength. One person uh, at the end of a commentary I was reading said this, man is a free being designed to hold communion, to have fellowship, our spirit, our soul has communion with God and to represent God here on the earth. Back at the time, Deuteronomy was probably written, uh, Pharaoh, he had this huge kingdom. And uh, there were parts of it he couldn't go to. He wasn't there. And so he would have uh, an image made that looked like him, and it would be placed around throughout the kingdom. So when people saw it, they'd say, oh, this is, this is Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's land. This is, he is sovereign here. He's in control here. In essence, it should be that when people look at us and we're living as God wants us to be and we're displaying the image of God, they should see that God is present because of who we are and because of how we live. And so there's the presence of God that is there, and and we see that. Well, man, because he has a will, has a choice. He's a choice to make decisions. You go back to Genesis chapter 2 again. And it says, God gave man a choice. This is a test in in many ways, but listen to it. Chapter 2, verses 7 to 9. It says, Then the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. That term is translated as soul. became a living soul. And the Lord planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there He placed the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord caused to grow, you see, God's causing all this. It isn't just happening. God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing in the sight and good for food. And the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We go over to verse 15 to 17 of this. Chapter, and it says, The Lord God took man and he put him into the garden to cultivate it and keep it. Now, a lot of people say they don't like work. We'd like just as soon we'd work ourselves out of work. But God created us for a job. He created us to cultivate the land, to take care of the world in which we live. And God took him and he put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From the tree of the garden you may eat freely. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Oh you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it. You will surely die. And it appears to me that that command. That God gave to Adam was before he created Eve. Because it says in verse 18. That God said it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. But let me just say something. If you have. A will. You have a freedom of choice. You can decide to do things. I don't know what all they decide to do in the Garden of Eden. Maybe they had to decide what kind of salad they were gonna make that night. You know, are we gonna get pick some lettuce or are we just gonna deal with a fruit salad? Or what are we gonna do? Or or did they even have dinner and lunch and all the things like we do? Maybe they just went around, they got hungry, and they began to eat. You know, maybe maybe that was what they did. I don't know. But they had a will. To make that decision. They also had a will to obey God. Would they obey him? Or would they turn their backs and disobey him? And here's where the test comes in. You can eat of every tree of the garden. Adam, you are so privileged. I have given you everything here for your enjoyment. But not the tree of the fruit of good and evil. You can't eat that. Because when you eat that, you're going to die. I'm not sure they understood what it meant to die. Nothing had probably died yet. They couldn't totally comprehend that. And, and I don't know that anyone had ever told Eve. Well, Adam had because she knew exactly what she could do and not do. But I'm not sure she spoke to God about that. He may have allowed Adam to pass that on to her so that she would know what was right or wrong. But, you know, we have... a right to choose whether we will obey God or disobey him. You want to know where our problems come in? When we disobey. You either choose God or you choose not to follow God. You either choose Jesus or you choose not to follow Jesus. And that isn't simply talking about salvation. That's talking about whether you're going to be obedient to the things he asks you to do back in the the book of John verse 14 or chapter 14 verse 15 um says if you love me this is Jesus if you love me you will choose me not exactly what it says is it if you love me you keep my commandments if you truly love me you're going to do the things i ask you to do what does that say when we choose to do things that aren't right according to the Bible. It says we don't love Jesus. It says we don't show love to you because we're living outside of your will and outside of what you want. And, and that's not where we should be. In John 14, 23 and 24, it says, if anyone loves me, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him and we will come to him and we'll make our abode with him. But verse 24... He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Without choice, the soul is meaningless. It really doesn't take us anywhere. If we just have to do everything God says we want, he wants us to do and, 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 and automatically do that because God forces us to, we just become robots in the hands of God. But God created us to make decisions. You know, I, I, I've heard people talk about the idea of do you have joy? Don't you have joy? And somebody will come along and say, well, choice a choice. And I agree with that. It's our choices that determine whether we're joyful or we're happy. It's our choices whether we get down and struggle with issues. We choose to do that which God calls us to. So to love God is, is to keep his commandments. Adam had a choice. He had a test. And the question is, Adam, do you choose God? In verse 18 of that Genesis 2, it says God created Eve. Uh, Eve was a little different than Adam. Eve was created from Adam. It's because God looked at Adam and he said, Adam's, Adam's lonely. You know, this is the very first time that God says it's not all good. Up until that time, everything was good. Everything was great. Everything was wonderful. But but when he looked at Adam, he said, you're lonely. And he took Adam and he put him to sleep, and he took a part of his body, and from that body, he didn't, he didn't just go and get some more dust like he did with Adam, but from the body, part of Adam's body, he created Eve. And you remember that when God brought Eve to Adam, he said, wow. Well, I don't know if he said wow or not, but he said, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, this is good. I like this. And he had someone who was his equal. Someone who filled the gaps in Adam's life, and Adam filled the gaps in her life, and and life was forever changed for humanity. And and she became the mother of all flesh, is what Adam said. She became the mother of all humanity. And as we get into chapter three next week, we're going to see that Adam followed Eve, and Eve sinned. Eve made a choice. Probably not so willingly as Adam. The Bible says she was deceived. She was tricked. And Adam just went along. And so Adam is the one that's held responsible for our sin today. Not Eve. But because of that, we have problems. We don't get along. We struggle with issues. Maybe you struggle with them. It's in in our relationships we, we have division and divisiveness because of the sin in our lives, because of the fact that Adam and Eve disobeyed God. It all falls into place that way. And so we're going to talk about our problem next week. I, I knew that if I did this, I, I was looking at doing all of it this week, but we'd be here an hour or so. So I didn't want to do that. I want you to come back. Don't miss next week. You need to be here to get the rest of the story, okay? Okay and and find out what really happens and it's uh, it's kind of interesting when we look at Adam and Eve and what took place between them and then what took place between them and God and it's being played out every day right here in Brentwood right here in the Bay Area right here in the United States and throughout the world let's pray father we just got part of it today. We just got a quick look, realizing that we are privileged. At this point, Adam and Eve were without sin. They were created in your image. They they had a mind, they had intellect, they had a soul, they had a will, they made choices, they they had emotion, Father. They had a heart. All those things were true of you, and they are true of us. And yet they failed. Because the only test they had, the one test they had, they messed up. Why is that, Father? Why is it so often when you have a little child, you tell them not to touch something, and it isn't very long, your back's turned, and that's where they are? Because it just seems to be part of our nature to disobey. And yet when we disobey, we're simply saying of you, we don't love you as much as we should. Thank you, Father, for being there for us. Thank you for being patient, thankful. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. And as we get into this next week, help us understand a little better what the issues are in our lives and how we can see those things change as we get kind of a practical application of these things. Thanks, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.